So the, the most important question for today, how much is an Omer? Come on, Hannah. Come on, Hannah. Right. It's a one if something. That's what Hannah said. One, it, was ha it was almost there. One-tenth of an ephah. Right? And we talked about the Omer, the what of the Omer. Who enjoyed Passover this year? The, 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 um, the excitement of, of, you know, getting rid of all the living, the Seder, of course, the matzah, my favorite part, the bitter herbs. But most importantly regarding Passover, the spiritual significance. It's very important to not forget that. This year we talked a lot about the crucifixion and that kind of stuff, but to miss the significance of the Passover season, and yes, it was, a it was a while ago, so you might ask, why am I talking about this now? Well, it's relevant. Um, that's where the story began in Egypt, right? I mean, that's the whole kind of the big deal. A nation enslaved by a despotic ruler and regime, God <coughs> hearing their cries, and more importantly, answering. And he answered very dramatically, right? Ten plagues, flying angels of death, firstborn Pharaoh finally letting Moses' people go, sending them out with gold and jewels for the road. The incredible scene at the Reed Sea where there looks like they're on the way, but no, the sea's before, the army's behind, and all of a sudden God splits the sea. Millions of people walk through. They come out on the other side as they're doing it. The waves crash in on the enemies and bury the chariots and all of Pharaoh's horsemen in the middle of the sea. Israel emerges, brought out, freed, redeemed, and taken as God's people. How many is that? That should sound familiar to you. You drank four cups to say each of those things during the Passover Seder. And I mean, that is quite a story that we don't ever want to overlook as we go through the season. What, what, what significance? And then, of course, there's the, the Passover conclusion, right? What is the Passover conclusion? I mean, how's it end? What's, what's the grand finale of the Passover story? Well, there isn't one. And that's the, that's the weird thing. There isn't one. We have all of this, and then, then what happens? Well, I mean, you could say that it says that God delivered them, and that day they believed in the Lord, and they believed in his servant Moses. And Moses sang this beautiful song, That's exactly what it sounded like as he stood on the seashore singing. That's chapter 15, right? Chapter 15 of Exodus. And that's the conclusion. Well, the conclusion actually is a bunch of grumbling from the people. That's how this story ends. Exodus 15, 24. He just finished the song at the sea. Adonai himlok le'olam The Lord shall reign forever. Amazing, Israel, what just happened, what God did for us. Exodus 15, 24. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, what shall we drink? 
Exodus 16:22. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. You've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. This is right after what I just told you happened for Passover. Exodus 16, 27, it came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather. This is the man, the, the bread of heaven. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? When was this happening? Just after Passover, after God redeemed this entire nation, miraculously. Exodus 17, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said, why are you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And what did they do? They grumbled. They grumbled against Moses. Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying this very important question. What shall I do to this people? In other words, translate it, God help me. What have I gotten myself into? This, we, we just did all these things, God, together. You anointed me to go and do this, and this is how this ends? What am I supposed to do with these people? Did you ever think of that as being the conclusion of the Passover story? It's pretty depressing, isn't it? I mean, we should really be excited. Well, it's, that's how it happened. It happened that way. And after we read through that incredible story in the Haggadah, the, the four-cup deliverance, the parting of the sea, the miracles, it culminates with Moses saying, God help me, what have I done? How am I supposed to do this? And God has an answer. I mean, Moses is, is bewildered. We're free. You can imagine Moses. We're free. You're complaining you're asking me to take you back to Egypt because of some stupid pots of meat? We're free. We're out of bondage. No slave masters, no taskmasters, no whips, no hard labor. What can I do to make you see? It's a good question. He asked God, what shall I do? Moses says, I mean, God says, Moses, it's not for you. It's not your problem to fix. God had the plan. He had the plan. And guess what? It's still the plan today. Even though we didn't just come out of Egypt and we're not slaves. There was a time of transformation that needed to take place for them as they came out of Egypt. Do you know how long it was? 50 days. Do you know what it was called? And you shall count the Omer the period of transformation from down here in Egypt to up here at Mount Sinai. That was the plan. A 50-day journey from the land of Egypt to the foot of Mount Sinai, this week's Torah portion. You know, it's, it's in this week's Torah portion. We're reminded, you shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath. And it's talking about the grain thing, but this is all happening. This was this was much more than a navigational journey through the desert. This was a spiritual ascent, literally. 
from being a terrible, uh, um, imprisoned people who were not ready at all to receive what God had to give them. That had to come through a process, this process of transformation. They had to learn to be free, and they had to learn to place value on being free. Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz of Blessed Memory, he says this about this. In and of itself, going out to freedom is meaningless as long as the new independent personality is not formed to invest the inner content of freedom. Meaning, you get out and you're free, and if nothing changes, what's the point of being free? You should have just stayed there. If you don't invest that freedom with the inner content and the taste of freedom, it's useless. What is the point? Passover is, it's beautiful. Everything I've said about it, powerful, significant, but it's incomplete. And generations of Jewish commentary discuss this. Passover is not actually, even though we sing about it every Shabbat and we sing all the time, all in all of these different prayers, it is an incomplete thing. It is, as Steinsaltz describes it, nothing but the end, the negation of exile. That's what the Passover story was. It was the end of something bad. It wasn't actually the start of something good if you don't make it good. If you don't invest the freedom with inner content. There has to be a next chapter. And Moses questioned, what shall I do for these people? God said, nothing. They have to do it themselves. And so do you. And that's why we still have this spiritually significant time that is known as counting the omer. It has nothing to do with barley and grain and temple offerings. It has to do with cleansing the temple of your spirit. Still, it does that. And as I stated earlier, you know, the climax of the Passover story is not in the story itself. It's not in the 10th plague or even going out to the Red Sea. That's nothing but the end of a bad scene. The climax is when? When is the climax of Passover? 50 days later on what day? Shavuot. Because that's when the ascension was completed. But that journey in between is where we currently find ourselves, and it's incredibly important. And I want to try to like, help you make the most of that, because it's a very, it's, it seems silly. I get it. I'm going to count days at night, and that's actually supposed to help me like, be a better person. There's a historical, biblical precedent for the fact that that happened. And that calendar doesn't change. So those days then were significant. They remain significant. I want to help you see a little bit of that. That Shavuot, which is down the road, is the, is the ascent, the experience to top all. But we get this transformation first. The slave to free. The slave to free. This is the why of the Omer. And honestly, it's much more important than the what. 
And most of, most of Judaism's focus today, whenever we talk about the Omer, is all about the spiritual component. It has nothing to do really with the barley sheaves and all that. Because those changes needed to take place for Israel, and they do for us. Now, Israel was not ready. They were free, but what did they use that freedom for? To grumble. That's what they did. Free to grumble. That's what Israel chose to do right out, right out, right out the gate, as they say in Louisiana. But you, that's not a good start. The first necessary element of transformation from slave to free, and here's this, here's this word that you get so tired of hearing, but if you start doing it, you won't be tired of it. Gratitude. Gratitude, a transformation from slavery to freedom begins with the gratitude concept of saying, I am free. Thank you to the one who set me free. Thank you. And Israel was grateful. But you see, the problem is this. Problems and challenges in your life, they immediately can blurt out, blot out your gratitude. And it is a, man, it's a big problem. You, everything's going right. Everything, you know what? This day, this is absolutely, God, thank you for the day that you've given me. This is, this is, like the best day I've ever had. And I know that you are just, you're just pouring out blessing on me. Now, God, I'm about to get out of bed. Could you, you've, you've heard that before, right? Like, and then the first challenge comes along, it's like. <laughs> Life is full of challenges. Forrest Gump had a famous shirt he made that talked about what happens in life. It's just the way it is. You got to, got to, got to find the good. You have to. And that's the start of any journey of transformation. You know something? There's a, there's a, a tragic, and I approach this delicately, modern example of what I think of when I think of Israel in this phase. You've seen, I'm certain, who has ever seen Videos of the concentration camps being liberated, particularly Dachau by the Russian and, and our, our soldiers when they went in. These human skeletons, bodies, mountains of bodies and death. And these soldiers are, they don't know what they've, they've never seen anything like this. And these, these skeletons of people are coming up and grabbing them and like kissing them and saying, thank you. Now, some people probably were thinking, where were you? Why didn't you come sooner? How could you let this happen? You could have saved my family. But for the majority of those concentration camp victims, it started with gratitude. Thank you, God that you have ended this hell. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you're here. Thank you, army, that you're here. Thank you for the freedom. But, you know, to continue with that example of Israel at Passover and, and, and camp liberation, 
and remembering Steinsalt's statement that going out to freedom is meaningless if you don't invest that freedom with something. There was a necessary and second component that had to occur for Israel before the inner freedom could be realized. And this, this is it. It is the realization that some things must change. And you are in charge of that. Only you. Well, but I mean this, this circumstance. It doesn't matter. I know, but she said, it doesn't matter. I know, but I can't. Yes, you can. It doesn't matter. You are in charge of how you take what you have, recognize that internally there are some things that I probably need to, to face and deal with. And that Israel ascent 49 days from Egypt to Sinai, they had to learn to trust God. They couldn't look back at the comfort they had in Egypt because they could drink and eat meat. They had to turn and not look back and realize, oh, my heart has to change. I've got to turn this to God. They weren't slaves. They were God's chosen people. And they had to think differently. And those concentration camp victims who were lucky enough to be freed, there should have been, there never should have been. But it should have happened a long time ago, but we can't change history. Those who were lucky enough to be freed had this, I, I have absolutely nothing. Most of my family is dead. Someone else lives in my home or it's been burned out. And I don't, I, what do I have? I have absolutely nothing except freedom. Except freedom. I have this, but, but where do I go? What do I do? Who am I even? I don't even remember. I'm a number tattooed in my arm. What do I do? You see, there was a problem. There were many, many of those Holocaust survivors. They got out of the camps, but they never really left the camps. They couldn't get the camp out of them, just like Israel was trying to get Egypt out of its own way of thinking. And for very good reason, no concentration camp survivor ever forgot what they experienced. Every survivor had scars that never healed. And I, as I said, I use this with very, very great sensitivity because we can never compare ourselves to what happened to the Holocaust camp prisoners. It's something that we, God forbid, will, will, will never, ever, ever, ever experience. But that same rules apply, that the same rule, that those who thrived after the war, those who built a life and remade what captivity had crushed and said, I'm free, thank God, I'm no longer a slave, I'm no longer a prisoner, what am I going to do with it? They are the ones who walked out of Auschwitz and Dachau and all of these camps and said, that happened. I am in control of what goes on now. I must change. I must take ownership. And that's the last thing that you do. You take action when you are going through a transformation. 
You're grateful for the freedom. You recognize the challenges of life and that things are going to be different and there are some things that need to be changed. And then you start changing them. You do things. You take action. And Israel, it was a long and winding road through the wilderness full of challenges, thirst, hunger, exhaustion. All those days were part of the process. Passover was incomplete. The journey, though, had to keep going. They took the next step. They kept on moving. You can be thankful, full of, uh, full of gratitude and all these things, but you got to keep moving. 49 days moving, transforming, growing, changing, ascending. And that still amazingly can be what happens in your life now. Now, every day should be that, right? Every day we're becoming better disciples and stronger and we're studying the word and we're doing all these things and we're confronting those things within us. That we, who, who does that faithfully every single day? You wake up and you really sit down and you have that internal come to Jesus meeting with yourself. Some people do, but a lot of people don't. But that's why we have. Now, now here's the confusion, though. There's this thing called the, the days of tshuva, right? As we're working into the high holidays. Starts at Lul 1, 40 days, it ends at Yom Kippur. What is that? More Hebrew. Cheshbon hanefesh. It's the accounting of the soul. It's, it's where you're preparing to go before the king and the judge and the high holidays for those 10 days. And you're going in there to repent you're going in there to ask forgiveness. So in that process of cheshbon hanefesh and accounting of the soul, you're taking inventory of the negative. You're taking inventory of the things that you wish you hadn't done. You're taking inventory of the people that you hurt. You're taking inventory of the sins you committed against God. And then you're going to bring them all in there. That is not what this is. That is not what this is. When someone says, well, how many of those things, how many of those periods you got to have in Judaism? I mean, Jesus died. That's the end of it. That's true for your eternal life. But in this world, you should constantly be improving. So the high holy days do one thing. The Omer count is not looking back at past sins. It's saying, God, help me now every day as I'm ascending toward what is a monumental experience where the Torah was given to Israel, the Holy Spirit was given to the disciples. You should be inspired by this. You should want to have a new, and I hate to say it this way, fresh encounter with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And so you are not like groveling. The, the high holidays are sort of like a descent it's like everything I think of. One year I made a list. It was like three pages long of, of things that I just need to fix. And every one I'm like, Ugh, uh, uh. so I'm finally face down flat on the ground because I've descended by considering my, my failures. This is the opposite of that. It is God, I recognize this could be better in my life. Bam, step up. God, would you help me change, correct this course? Bam, step up. 
another one, another one, every day, 49 days. But how do I do that at night? All it is is saying this little prayer and marking off my little calendar. I don't know. I can't fix you. But I can tell you, you should be taking some action toward fixing yourself, not because you're broken, but because you could be better. You could be better. You could be. Happy is kind of a fluffy little... Happiness is elusive, and I don't even really believe in happiness. Contentment. Bliss. You can be content the stronger of a person you become. That's what the Omer is about. That's the why. And as I don't care if 99%, well, they don't. 99% of the world do not know what in the world I'm talking about. But you do. And it's what I told you last week. Gratitude. Thank you, God, that you've given me the opportunity to have this experience of embracing the freedom that I have as a disciple, a son or daughter of the Most High God, and of Yeshua, and the empowerment that that gives me, to not let that stinky place out there take your joy, take your contentment, confuse you. All the crap that's going on in the world right now, it's, it's unbelievable. It's absolutely incomprehensible. What is happening? I, I can't even watch anything on TV because it's like, and guess what? That's my problem. That's my problem to correct. That should never be allowed to take away my bliss and my contentment. And that's something that in 49 days right now, for me personally, I'm focusing on that. I am tired of letting what happens out there in the world worry me and press me down and make me feel like there's no hope and no future. We have an incredible future. It may not be the one that we think we're having, but we have an incredible future. And I want to be thankful for the freedom that we have. And I want to be intentional about evaluating how I change myself in these days so that when we have this big hoo-ha thing at Shavuot that's going to be incredible, that it means more than just everybody getting together. We've prepared ourselves for the last 50 days to be different. That's what it's about. Have I driven this point home enough? Sorry, I'm a, like a motivational Amway speaker here, but... <laughs> That's just the truth of it, man. That's the truth of it. That's what it means to be free and embrace freedom with gratitude and transform and ascend and all these fruity, weird things that nobody in the Baptist church is ever going to tell you. But I'm going to tell you because it can make you better. That's why God gave it to you. It's that simple. It's that simple. That's the why of the Omer. And yes, I understand. I mean, even in my home, and I'll stop rambling, but even in my home growing up, I don't remember us like making a deal out of the Omer. I don't remember us gathering around and singing, for the conductor, all stringed instruments, the Psalm 67, and 
I don't remember us doing that. I forgot it all. I forgot it all. My dad, you know, would, had his pass and... But now I know. Now I know. And so do you. And that's the why. That's what we're doing. That's why it's in the Bible. That's why. Because it worked once. Now, how long did Israel hold on to that? That's another message. We won't talk about that shiny yellow calf that they built. But they made the journey over 50 days, physically and spiritually, to a new place. That's what you're doing, I hope. And like I said, I can't tell you how to do it. And I can't make you saying another number mean something to you. You have to do that. But ask God. He'll help you. He'll help you. And the truth of the matter is, you probably don't really need God to help you because you already know some areas in your life that, that you just sort of been waiting on to like maybe fix themselves or vanish or whatever. That probably isn't going to happen. You need to take action and ownership and ascend, my friends. Okay? That's the why. That's the why. In and of itself, going out to freedom is meaningless as long as the new independent personality is not formed to invest the freedom with inner content. May we, over the next 20-some days, invest our freedom with rich inner content. Min HaShamayim from heaven. Shabbat Shalom. Let's...